Good afternoon and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I am your moderator for this program. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, the Executive Director of CIO Programs here at IDG. And I'm very pleased today to be welcoming Vipin Gupta, who is the Group Vice President and CIO at Toyota Financial Services. Vipin is responsible for all aspects of IT across Toyota Financial and also for the digital transformation work that is going on across the company as well. He joined Toyota Financial 10 months ago and he reports directly into the president and CEO of the company. Toyota Financial is the finance and insurance brand for Toyota and Lexus. As a captive finance business, it provides retail and wholesale insurance, leasing and other financial services to dealers and the dealer's affiliates and the end user consumers and customers like you and me. The U.S. division of TFS has 3,300 employees, and the assets it has under management are about $120 billion, which actually puts it globally up in the top 20 banks across the world. And it is also part of a global network of Toyota Financial Services operations that spans 36 countries. Before he joined TFS last year, Vipin spent 10 years in various IT leadership roles in the banking industry in U.S. regional, U.S.-based regional banks. He was the executive vice president and CIO for Key Community Bank, which is one of the business units of KeyBank. And at, that, at KeyBank, he led both the tech and business operations functions. The first 15 years before he got into the banking industry in his career, he was a consultant and he was a partner and a practice leader at both Ernst & Young and Capgemini, where he worked on multi-year transformation projects at well-known financial institutions such as J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, and Merrill Lynch. Thanks very much for joining us today, Vipin. Tell me a bit more about the advantages of being a captive finance company in the auto industry. I think the biggest advantage is obviously that, that experience, this one Toyota experience that we provide. Mm -hmm. So for us, from a client's perspective or customer's perspective or from a dealer's perspective, they expect this one Toyota experience, whereas technically Toyota Financial Services is a separate entity or a separate organization from our Toyota Motor Corporation mm -hmm. and also from our dealers. But from customers' point of view, they don't really care. They expect this one Toyota experience. Right, Toyota and that's is what Toyota. That's mm -hmm. the advantage of a captive finance or auto captive finance like ours. Yeah. Well, and on the on the other side of it, you mentioned that you're facing dual disruption in the market as well, that both financial services and the automotive industry are uh, essentially experiencing the explosion of the, the mobile life that we all live and the expectations that that brings from customers. So talk a little bit about what you see disrupting in these traditional markets, both on financial side and on the auto industry side. Yeah, and that, that's right. So, uh, in my view, the software is redefining the world. Mm -hmm. Software is redefining our industry. Software is redefining our business. Software is redefining our customers and customer expectations. And we are, our industry is getting reshaped on two fronts for mm -hmm. Toyota Financial Services. One on the automotive front and other on the financial services, just like you described. So, automotive industry is reshaping into a mobility industry. Whereas mm. financial services business is reshaping into a digital business. So what we are doing with TFS is redefining itself into 
a mobility company, a mobility finance company to enable the freedom of movement. Okay. So it's no more just about ownership of the cars, which will mm -hmm. be there, but it's about moving from point A to point B, and that's what we are enabling in this new reshaping industry. Well, and when you say mobility industry, you mean more than just access from anywhere and any device. Uh, expand on that a little bit more. I, I'm just I'm trying to picture how an industry becomes a mobility industry, what some of the differences are. Yeah, so in our case, I do not want us to confuse this mobility from the mobile devices. Right. In our case, the mobility is the movement of people, movement of material from point A to point B. So today, if you have to move from point A to point B, we use vehicles. Mm -hmm. And in, in today's world, also, it is reshaping into, for example, for you to go from point A to point B, you can now take taxis, but more importantly, you can also usher uh, services like ride and ride share or, or Uber mm -hmm. and Lyft. Mm -hmm. And that's what we mean by mobility. But mobility goes beyond just the vehicles on the road. Mobility can also be moving from one room in the hospital to another room in the hospital. Hmm. And the idea here is that Toyota, as an industry, as a business, we are going to support all forms of mobility for uh, the people and for the material in the future. Okay, okay. The, and when we were talking about your customers, what struck me was the fact that you've got multiple groups. You've got internal employees, all of your associates are customers, your dealers, uh, the affiliates of, the, of Toyota, and then end consumers like myself. Um, how Do you have different strategies for each group, or is everything you're doing kind of a one-size-works-for-everyone? Yeah, so for customer expectations, so all our customers, which are our dealers, our drivers, and the consumers, mm -hmm. in this mobility context, everyone expects us to play a much bigger role. Mm -hmm. So for our dealers, they expect us to provide them or make them part of this broader value chain mm -hmm. and provide a win-win not only for the dealers, but also for the customers. Whereas the drivers expect better in-car experiences whether they own the car or not. Mm -hmm. So the drivers and consumers expect enhanced in-car experiences and they expect us to fulfill their mobility needs mm -hmm. uh, irrespective of whether they own uh, Toyota cars or not. So customers expect simple experiences. And I think what is happening is it's shifting from a traditional kind of an omni-channel experience to what I call an on-my-channel experience. Mm -hmm. So it's really shifting those letters of, instead of calling it O-M-N-I, mm -hmm. you think about them as O-N-M-I, which mm -hmm. becomes on my channel, and that's the shift. Where omni-channel is typically an inside-out view. It's our view of providing our consumers all yes. the channels. How do you reach everyone? So How do you sell everything? Yes. That's right. And on my channel takes it to another level where we are not only providing omni-channel, but we are really thinking about the customer first looking at it from outside in mm -hmm. on where the customer on the channels that the customers are on they could be we have to be where the customers are mm -hmm. customers could be in the dealership we need to be there they can be in the car in the home or using an app with one of our fintech partners for example okay 
Do you have, is that, I know that's a relatively new strategy. Do you have any anything to show for that yet? Is there anything that consumers might be noticing today that is more in that on my channel rather than Omni? So not yet. We are experimenting uh, various okay. uh, aspects uh, of uh, this so-called on my channel, mm -hmm. or what we call as internally, as a customer chosen experiences. Mm -hmm. But what you will see is in coming months and years, we will start deploying some of these experiences where it is not about creating a capability and distributing it across the channels, but uniquely designed to enable a particular experience okay. where the customer is. And largely the focus is around how do we connect consumers and dealers, say around dealership, how do we change that experience going mm -hmm. forward? Okay. Now, when I, whenever I interview CIOs, I always start out asking, especially CIOs who are into a, not only a new job recently, but a new industry, on what kind of, what are the biggest challenges that you are initially encountering? And yours was actually a surprising one. It had to do more with the way your IT suppliers and partners were viewing Toyota Financial. Talk a little bit about that. I thought that was, that was a new one on me. Yeah, so one of the early things that when I joined uh, TFS and I realized was that a lot of our suppliers, uh, the way they thought about us, they really didn't think about the, us as a financial services organization. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we had to do was to kind of really highlight the fact that we are a financial services organization to support a manufacturing organization. Right. And so, uh, and in most cases, some of the suppliers will put us in a manufacturing PNL. Okay. And the way I think about this is on the surface, while it may not seem such a big deal, but if you really think about this, for example, a Java programmer mm -hmm. with a financial services background will definitely will be more effective and more efficient for a financial services products and services compared to a Java programmer from a manufacturing side working on the financial services side. Mm -hmm. And so when, when we talked to our suppliers, they immediately understood this gap and understood this mess. And once they understood it, they were able to make a quick change. And I'm happy to say that most of our suppliers, all our top 20 suppliers have now aligned us to their financial services organization, to their financial services executive team. We are already seeing the difference. We're already seeing the difference in our conversations, mm -hmm. the quality of conversations, and the kind of partnerships that we're trying to build with them. So it's going beyond just staff augmentation, mm -hmm. how these suppliers can be part of this new change, change in the operating model that we're going through and also change in our industry and the business practice. Right, right. Well, and we'll get into a little more discussion about your suppliers because you've changed more than just the way they see you. You have a lot of relationships changing too because of some of the other things you have going on there. Um, let's talk a little bit more about, um, let me see, we talked about the On My Channel and the customer uh, expectations changing. How would you say that is impacting your role as the CIO? And I, I know you view it uh, like many strategic CIOs do today, that you're really as much about the business, if not more, than you are about technology. But I wondered whether the changing customer expectations have accelerated any parts of the role, something that you're paying much more attention to now that you didn't used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I would say it is really this idea that IT can be uh, uh, obviously a strategic enabler, but it can also be a significant detractor. Mm. 
And uh, so the change is that the role of our CIOs like me has shifted from being a head of an IT department to being a part of the leadership team. And IT happens to be the specialization that I bring to the leadership team. Right. And so if you think about other, other aspect is that we need to kind of move into this digital world, move into this mobility world. We need business leadership in IT and IT leadership in business. So I believe the ability to harness the software or the responsibility to harness the power of software is not just for IT department anymore. Everyone in Toyota Financial Services need to be part of this digital revolution mm -hmm. that we're going through. And that also on the other end is technology's role is not to build more technology, it is to build more business. Mm -hmm. And that's the shift that is taking place not only in my role, but everyone in our traditional IT organization where we are connecting across the supply chain of business and technology yes. and really truly breaking away these boundaries between business and technology which have traditionally existed in organizations like ours. Mm -hmm. Well, you had something very interesting when we were talking about digital transformation and just digital in general. You made the point that it's not just about rewriting and upgrading the technology, but it's rewriting the way people work together that fully harnesses the power of that. Give, can you give us an example of what you see coming with that or maybe something you're doing already? Yeah, so uh, again, I, I believe, I think one of the critical things for us is going to be speed. And to create the speed, not uh, it will come on three fronts. The way we think about agility, agility on three fronts. Agility of how we build the software, agility on how we make decisions, mm -hmm. and then agility on what our platform looks like and how we connect that platform. Mm -hmm. So all three elements are to come together. And I also believe this uh, speed is not only going to come from just introducing new technologies. We have to fundamentally reimagine how we work and specifically how IT works. Mm -hmm. Because IT is the foundation for this digital. And so we are starting to make lots of changes around the IT operating model to ultimately give us this speed to drive this digital transformation. Yes. Uh, and, and we can talk about that. Uh, yes. What, what well, and I was thinking this might be, because you made the point that you're becoming an agile digital business, and one of the ways you're doing that, that you're changing the way you build software uh, to make it more like the way you build cars, which is you know globally known as a very efficient approach from Toyota. Um, and that led us to talking about your digital factories. Let's talk about that a little bit. What are your ABC digital factories? And what does the ABC stand for? Yeah, so ABC stands for Agile Business Capability Factories. Okay. And the idea here is we deliberately named them ABC. One is cool, mm -hmm. but more importantly, these are not just IT factories. These are truly business capability factories. And so we are changing the way we build software. We will build software the way we build cars. We will bring the same automotive manufacturing practices, the disciplines and the standards to the software manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So we launched these factories uh, about, uh, started to launch these about three months back. And we called uh, and, 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 and with an intention to create this agility. And we took this entire business of TFS and mm -hmm. organized it into about 56 business capabilities. And for each business capability, we established this factory, ABC Digital Factory, with clear ownership 
and accountability. Mm. And each factory, we are, we are trying to keep the framework really simple. Mm-hmm. Then each factory has what I call as a five-point framework. Okay. And you follow the five rules, I think we'll get the right factory for the right business capabilities. And these are largely based on agile and lean principles. Mm-hmm. So each factory, number one, each factory has to deliver a change at least monthly. They can do it faster uh, if, uh, if they choose to. Each factory has a durable fixed size team. We call them factory squad. Mm-hmm. Each factory follows the same framework for meetings, routines, ceremonies, like daily scrums and weekly uh, sprint reviews, etc. And we uh, expect all changes, and this may be the one change which has the most profound impact, all changes to the business capabilities are fed to a single backlog for that factory, single funnel. No changes to the software or the platform are going to take place outside of the factory. And then finally, each factory has a dual ownership, two in the box. One with the technology expertise and another one with the business expertise. And both have equal accountability, equal empowerment, equal decision rights. Mm -hmm. And both are accountable for the flow of input into the factory and defining the output from the factory. And this, this kind of framework not only helps empower the ownership or owners of the factory, but it also helps me, changes my role, because instead of micromanaging these factories, my role becomes more around providing the tools, the standards, the framework, the platform to allow these factories to prosper and flourish mm-hmm. without micromanaging them on a day-to-day basis. And what sort of roles are included on a factory squad? Because this is not just IT people, so it's business and other parts of the operations. Yeah, so it really starts from all the way across the organization. Mm-hmm. There's a cross-functional team that starts with the traditional business functions, the one who owns the process on a day-in, day-out basis. So those are our business owners or business factory owners. Mm-hmm. They're paired up with our technology factory owners. And we also have, and then we have a typical team of various kinds of engineers that are relevant for that particular platform. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, we have also introduced some roles like reliability engineer. These are the engineers whose role is to ensure the software that we are building is designed for high quality IT operations. Mm-hmm. And also then we have automation engineers and this, the engineer's role is to make sure whatever we do in the factory, whatever software is produced, one, we are applying automation and second, we are designing it for automation. And automation is going to be a significant part of this factory to drive the speed. Mm-hmm. So these roles are cross-functional. In addition to that, we also have dedicated roles for information security, dedicated roles for legal and compliance functions. Mm-hmm. So we have really looked at it across the organization and set it as a horizontal team from one end of the supply chain, which is the customer, to the other end of the supply chain, which is the infrastructure. Yes. Well, and I could see how this would lead to a lot of reorganization inside the IT organization, but it sounds like it also is driving some reorg across other parts of Toyota's business. So is this an everybody into the pool kind of reorganization that has been going on in the last year or so since you got there? Yeah, so I think this, that was one critical piece here because what I've seen in the past, my experience has been that traditionally we tend to apply agility in one area of the organization mm-hmm. or yep. one project of the organization. Frankly, uh, I, I think we have had mixed 
a success with that kind of a model. Hmm. But to be a truly agile business and agile organization, you have to really look at it completely and holistically. Mm -hmm. And that was the conversation that we had early on in our organization to say, if we are going to be an agile business organization, then all of us have to be in, in, in this model. And fortunately, we all decided, and it's a, culturally, this is what I like about the team here mm. and being part of the Toyota, is they're very passionate and they have a pride in this Toyota brand. So we do debates. Once the debate, once we agree, the outcome of the debate that everyone follows uh, through this decision. So once we made that decision, it was really easy for us to shift this model where we are, it's not just an IT operating model that is changing, but it's also impacting other aspects of the organization and almost really creating this these horizontal business capability tools. Mm -hmm. And, and I, to me, I think that's what's powerful. It's almost like you know how it is, if it's a supply chain and the only two links in the chain are agile and other eight links are not agile, it's not going to be agile. I know, a lot of I companies end up with, yeah. a lot of companies end up with a mix of agile and waterfall approaches and it can actually bog things down more than anything else. How is this different from uh, the kind of agile development or agile and lean development approaches you've seen go on in the finance industry and banking where you came from. Is this like agile on steroids or um, how is it different? Yeah, I think the difference is really, which is our secret sauce, which is toys that we are going to manufacture the software, the way we manufacture cars. Huh. And part of that whole process uh, is how we manufacture cars is a lot of it is also done through automation. So last year when I joined TFS to the financial services, I had an opportunity to go to Toyota City in Japan, mm -hmm. and I got to see our factory. And it's such an inspiring experience where you see these cars, our Toyota Camry and Toyota Priuses, rolling off the assembly line at 58 seconds per car. We look at this entire <laughs> process, and the reason we are able to do it is obviously there are human elements to this, but there's a significant amount of automation that we do yes. to drive the speed mm -hmm and drive this quality through the assembly plants. Mm -hmm. We would apply the same practices here, and that's the nuance. It's not just agile and lean. It's really agile, lean, and automation. And automation is a big part of this. So we are mm -hmm. looking at automation slightly differently. In the sense, we're looking at automation at, for every task that the factory performs, not only in the factory, but then what happens after the factory produces the software in the IT operations area. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at entire cycle of software from software development, software testing, software deployment, all the way to monitoring, as well as incident management, and kind of creating this automated support system for the factory. Mm -hmm. Just like in our factories where we manufacture cars, if you're assembling, when we are assembling the car, we are focused on assembling the cars. Mm -hmm. We're not worried about the underlying infrastructure that the factory provides. We expect that to happen right. as per the process. So today, that's not where IT is, but that's where we are going to go. Okay. It's design agile with automation in mind from beginning to end. And then, and frankly, automation is just one part of the story. The mm -hmm. second part or the main part of the story really is the talent, the people. And yeah. we need the wisdom of people 
to fully realize this value of agility and automation. Mm -hmm. Well, and as a point you made, and we'll definitely get into the people angle, but I wanted to circle back on the notion that um, this changes the nature of work for the people that are part of IT. How fast will this happen? When you talk about um, software eventually being manufactured just the way you do cars, are we looking at a 10-year horizon or a two-year horizon? What is the time frame? We have an extremely aggressive plan, my friend, because mm -hmm. we don't have time. We don't have 10 years. Okay. Uh, speed is going to be key. So we are really targeting this for the next two to three years. And I'm very confident. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to make progress. I don't know what degree of agility and what degree of automation we will be able to achieve, but our aspirations are very high mm -hmm. to achieve a very high degree of automation and create this total, completely different kind of a speed on how we deliver software and the business changes. Mm -hmm. Because that's what, are, what is needed to compete in this new digital world, especially with our new competitors who are inherently digital. So we need to operate with their speed or even better than them. Mm. And when you talk about those new competitors, are you thinking about Google and Apple and Facebook or are you thinking about other car manufacturers? No, you're absolutely right. So they don't have to be car manufacturers uh -huh. because today, our customers, their experiences are not only dependent on or based on their experiences with Toyota. Mm -hmm. They have other customer experiences or other experiences around them, and they expect us to deliver the same kind of experiences that they're getting from other digital organizations or digital businesses. Okay. So these could be these large digital organizations and also smaller ones like fintechs that are coming up, a lot of entrepreneurs. So mm -hmm. we have to also keep that in mind so bottom line is, one common denominator is that speed is going to be critical in future, but we have to be very careful. When I say speed, I don't mean speeding. So that's the balance that we have to strike. Mm -hmm. It's about speed, it's not about speeding. So we're going to take our time, and I think in the next two to three years, we're going to achieve a significant amount of automation and agility in our organization. Yes. And that, of course, leads us back to the, with that incredibly aggressive goal. I, th I think you'd mentioned that uh, you want a high percentage of automation across all these ABC factories within the next two to three years. That obviously requires a lot of talent resources and a big shift in the sort of talent you need. So are there IT skills that are just going by the wayside? Are there IT skills of the future that you're trying to develop now? How are you approaching the talent challenge around this? Yeah, and I think that's a big challenge for us. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a way, I think what I like about our team is that the passion and the pride that I mentioned. So they have all adopted mm -hmm. to this new ABC model or yeah. ABC agile business capability model and also the automation underneath. And But at the end of the day, people are going to be what's going to make the difference. And it's when I say people, I'm not, we are really not talk, talking just about technology team members. Mm -hmm. We're really talking about all team members across TFS. So as I said earlier, that harnessing the power of software is not just a job of IT department, it's everyone's job. Mm -hmm. So we are stepping back and looking at it more holistically. So what we did was last month, we launched something which we call as TFS Digital Academy. It's just about two miles in that direction mm -hmm. uh, from this campus. And this digital academy is for all our employees and for our, also for our consulting partners too. So oh, our goal is to continuously build this team of experts and build mastery. So mastery in our business, mastery in digital technologies, 
mastery in new technologies, emerging technologies, mastery in agility, mastery in automation. The key word is mastery. Okay. It's not about just managing the project. It's about really understanding the core skills and competences needed to be a digital organization. Mm -hmm. And we are creating this. And this is this academy is not just a training center. It's really a learning center. And when I when I say learning center, it's about learning and teaching. So our team members are teaching our team members. So what we say mm -hmm. is that it's we are creating a continuous cycle of learning, doing, teaching, and doing. Mm -hmm. And we, that's what we have to enable, and that's what we are trying to enable. And the idea here is that everyone has to spend about 10% of their time in learning or teaching these skills wow. among ourselves. So, and I also believe that, uh, I, part of this is that, um, that it is open for not just technology team members, but it's open for all of the TFS team members. It's all, also open for consultants. For example, right now, there's an ABC workshop, or Agility Business Capability Workshop, that's uh, going on. Mm -hmm. And in that workshop, we have members, every member of the factory, whether they are from consulting organization, whether they're from business organization or technology organization, it doesn't matter. If you are part of the factory, you have to go through a week-long program at a workshop using their own material and their uh, practical real-life examples mm -hmm. and real-life experiences. And the idea is it doesn't matter which company you come from. Once you are on a factory team, that's your first and that mm -hmm. we want that factory to be the talent in that factory to be all pulling in the same direction and part of that is to not only bring them uh, or uh, bring them together through academy but to teach them agility teach them automation teach them these technology skills yeah. that's how we're going to grow the the talent mm -hmm. because traditionally what has happened is when they were when we needed some special skills, we would typically go to an external organization, one of our partners, one of our suppliers, mm -hmm. and then ask for those skills, and we'll have those skills, and that is perfectly fine. But somewhere, we forgot that we need to also build those skills ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And part of this academy is to build those skills ourselves. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the supplier um, aspects of this. It's You've got these 56... ABC factories, you get the Digital Academy, and your top 20 suppliers all have people involved in them. Um, how does that work? Did you rewrite contracts so that they would spend X amount of time devoted to these things, or how do you manage that process with your suppliers? Yeah, so that's one process that we are actually going through right now. Mm -hmm. We are in the process of redefining how that arrangement is going to work. Mm -hmm. On one hand, it's actually going to simplify the process. The simplification comes from the fact that everything is driven by this idea of factory and the factory teams. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, each factory has a fixed team size. Yes. Which makes it really easy for not, a, uh, not only for us, but for our partners also, because everyone now knows exactly what role and who's playing, and that roster is published monthly. Okay. So, so what that does is that allows us to create a but it will definitely allow us to, one, create the transparency, but it will push us to create a different kind of a contracting structure that mm -hmm. we are working with our suppliers. The great news is this, that all our suppliers have bought into this idea and they're working with us very, very closely to redo the structure. Mm -hmm. And most of the feedback that we are getting is very, very positive because they can see the clarity of the structure, the clarity of um, 
the, the roles and responsibilities and clarity of accountability. And at the end of the day, all those things are going to help them create a more uh, positive contract, if you will. Yeah. Well, and, and I've, I've talked with many technology providers and suppliers over the years, and their desire, uh, their desire is always very high to partner more deeply with CIOs, with companies like Toyota, because ultimately that's a business relationship that will benefit them in, in a big way. But then there's time and resources being what they are. It sounds like you're also demanding more of your suppliers if they're going to be part of your ecosystem. That's, that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea here is co-prospering. So we have to prosper together. So idea that's here a nice is term. I like that, co-prospering. Mm -hmm. yeah, and bring the suppliers with us so that we can go beyond just talking about tap augmentation and really talking about implementing these new strategies, mm -hmm. implementing the operating model. And it opens up all kinds of new possibilities. Yeah. For example, for automation, we are going to initiate a significant amount of automation which creates new roles that don't exist today. Mm -hmm. And that's where our suppliers will be able to help us. Then it opens up possibilities around innovation uh, that we can be partnering more with our suppliers. Mm -hmm. So overall, I feel this is going to make both of us better, our suppliers as well as us, and keep pushing this agenda of co-prospering. Yes. Well, you had a, a great quote when we talked earlier. You talked about financial service businesses that the the winners were going to be the businesses with the strongest digital army. And and you don't mean that just an army that you hire that is your suppliers. You actually mean the army that you have within as well. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I, I really believe in that, in, uh, that future businesses will be won by the businesses that have the best digital army. And mm -hmm. I also believe now is the time to build that digital army. Okay. So this digital army is the just like you said, the partnership with our suppliers, but more importantly, the people that we have in our organization mm -hmm. and getting them ready for this future digital world where mastery will matter, the knowledge intensity matters, mm -hmm. understanding our skills and competencies, just like each FinTech organization, I consider each of these 56 factories as mini FinTech, mm -hmm. and they need to be really, really good at delivering that product, delivering that platform, and delivering that capability. Yeah. And once we have this core set of engineers, not just managers, also makers, yes. just somewhere along the way, we forgot this, that we have all these learning programs for managers, mm -hmm. but we don't have the same kind of learning program for makers. That's what this academy is trying to do. The focus okay. is more on makers than on managers. And that's what's going to be our digital future artists. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's a great point because there's a, uh, there's a lot of wonderful capabilities and talents you can get by working with leading suppliers, but at the end of the day, they do take their knowledge and their toys and they go home. And if they're not leaving enough of that behind, you can see that getting out of balance in a lot of companies. Um, and yeah, I call that a knowledge drain that takes yeah. place. Yeah. Not intentionally. No one has a bad intention. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of the process. A project gets done the team moves out, so the consultants, they are moving from one assignment to another assignment, and that's why we need this durability and continuity of skills yeah. in-house, in our organization, that we can sustain through these various cycles mm -hmm. that we have with our consultants. Yeah. 
where did this idea for the Digital Academy actually come from? Because a lot of big companies have training programs and uh, in-house, you know, GE University and that sort of thing. They have, you've probably experienced that in the banking industry where there's always some sort of an employee training and the skills resource. Um, but this seems different to me in that you've got, once they go through a certain amount of the coursework, they are then teaching each other as well. So it seems like a different approach, like it's leveled up a little bit. Where did it come from? Yeah, and, and, and this has been on my mind for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, as uh, I think you uh, introduced me and you talked about Ernst & Young. So what I've seen is in a consulting organization, this is very natural. When someone comes in in that organization, one of the things that we do is, in consulting organization, is go to a boot camp. Mm -hmm. which is one way to kind of ensure that everyone is following same practices, shared practices, and are ready for their kind of work. And interestingly, what I've realized that most of the companies, most of the IT organizations, we don't do the same thing. We expect that employees to learn on their own organically. Mm -hmm. It's like employees have to be resourceful to figure this thing out. We do provide them some training materials, some curriculum, some uh, websites where they can go and train themselves. Mm -hmm. But given where we need to go, the fact that we need to build a strong digital army and that's going to be a core competency of any business going forward. And that's when this idea started to form. Why don't we have an academy where we help grow people? Mm -hmm. And frankly, teaching is part of learning. When we teach, we learn. Yeah. So it's not just just teaching for the sake of teaching. And that's why we created this other element, which is it's about teaching and learning and team members teaching team members. So it's less about bringing external trainers, if you will. Mm -hmm. And the way we have formatted the academy is very conversational in nature. So one of the guiding principles is you're not going to have a lot of slides. So this is about conversation. This is about our own experts teaching our own team members. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to continue to create this continuous, uh, uh, to create this continuous cycle, to push this agenda of expertise forward. And the philosophy is very simple. If you are part of this team, you are building solutions for Toyota Financial Services, we would like all of us to build solutions using Toyota business practices, Toyota agile practices, the Toyota way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's what Academy is doing. Okay. Um, let's switch gears. We've covered a lot about uh, talent and your factory approach to software development and where you're heading in the future. Let's talk about the future from um, the aspect of technology trends. I know that there are three of them that you are most interested in now. I'm thinking of them as your three A's, your APIs, automation, which we've talked a lot about, and analytics. So tell me about uh, what's happening in those areas that you're finding particularly compelling as the CIO. Yeah, so uh, let's start with APIs. And mm -hmm. API is uh, kind of core to our future digital platform. And we are building this integrated digital ecosystem architecture that is being built in the cloud from the ground up. So for example, and we are moving really fast on this front. Uh, for example, last month, we already released our first digital API on cloud platform that connects our service channels to our core services. As an example, mm -hmm. the idea here is to create a platform where all our Toyota affiliates can use 
and integrate into this platform easily. And not only to our affiliates, even our partners, our suppliers, even other fintechs. And this enables us this integration. And more we do this integration, the more we build this API, the faster the innovation will be. Because then we can even experiment faster. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to create this platform for all our Toyota affiliates to use this as a mobility finance platform for multiple entities. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when I say entities, I also think about dealers. Because for them to integrate with us, we want to make it really easy. And we want our dealers and our suppliers and our affiliates to see us the platform of choice for mobility mm-hmm. finance going forward. Okay. Well, and we talked a good bit about automation and your plans in the, the inside of the factories. Is there another angle on automation that you're pursuing as part of your emerging trends area? Yeah, so there's a, what we talked about was the factory or the automation in the factory or the software uh, development and IT operations. Mm-hmm. But then there's an automation on the business side. Okay. And so when we think about automation of the business processes, there are two uh, broad categories that we're working on. One is uh, robotic pro- process automation. Mm-hmm. Robotic process automation tends to have more applicability in our back office processes, mm-hmm. and, and we have seen a lot of success there. But a lot of our focus is also on automating our business processes and improving our dealer and customer experiences. Mm-hmm. We are designing our existing customer interactions into self-service experiences for example, through straight-through processing and digitization. So, for example, we recently implemented our pilot that automates our claim processing for our dealers, and when we fully deploy, it will allow us to process claims more effectively than ever before. Mm-hmm. So, you have to address automation on both fronts on the business side, the robotic process automation wherever possible, and preferably redesign and reimagine the process to create this digital experience that our customers expect now. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And then analytics, we mustn't leave that out. Um, I know you're continuing to modernize your data supply chain and you're enabling analytics across all areas of your business. Um, what is, what's a good example of a place where maybe the dealers or your end user consumers are already seeing some of the benefits of that? Yeah, so uh, again, the, the way we're thinking about analytics is to build and modernize what we call as our data supply chain, mm-hmm. looking at data from all the way from our operational systems to how it gets consumed by our analytics teams, the data scientists, and build these, uh, these processes where we enable and help decision-making for our dealers and for our customers and for our businesses in the business processes. So these range from... Uh, the use cases will range from sales and product pricing to customer behaviors and interactions to risk modeling. But more importantly, now we are also connecting our vehicle data with the financial events, like, for example, an end of lease. So in addition to, um, to the traditional uh, analytics, we are applying these analytics to processes like making payments, lease termination, optimization of inventory, and one of the other things is, as we think about mobility business, mm-hmm. uh, it is shifting from an ownership-based model to a usage-based model. So we are experimenting with processes and systems where we are 
creating new kinds of payments mechanism, not only traditional 48 month lease or a 36 month lease, but think about an, uh, 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 a situation where we have uh, uh, someone who doesn't own a car, but wants to be in the business of uh, ride share or uh, share a car. Right, right. And they can go to one of the dealerships and pick up the car, even if they don't own it, and they can use it for ride share business. Mm -hmm. For that, we are going to introduce new kinds of payment mechanisms, not only where you can pay monthly, but you can pay hourly, you can pay weekly or daily. Mm -hmm. And so for that also, we will need analytics behind it to create that kind of experience that allows this micro payment instead of these monthly payments that our system is used to. Fascinating. And is that in the two to three year time frame? Is that something happening sooner? Yes, again, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a little impatient about these things. So from my mm. perspective, yes, we have to stay very aggressive from a timeline perspective. And I don't think this is another 10 year thing. It has to happen in the next two to three years. And again, we are working shot. on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that's the goal. We have a very, very ambitious plan to mm -hmm. get there uh, and, and deliver these kind of experiences. Great. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm very glad. I'm grateful that we could catch you at this early stage in all these processes. And I, I feel like I want to reserve time with you a year from now to check in on how all of this is going. And uh, Absolutely. thank you. Absolutely. I think we should do it next time maybe at this campus. That's right. That's right. We talked about having our corporate jets bring one of us to the other's location. So I've got to talk to our CEO about getting a corporate jet. You probably already got one. <laughs> So thank you so much for your time today, Vipin. It was really wonderful. Now, if you joined us late, you can watch the full episode later today right on CIO.com or on YouTube. We have a YouTube Tech Talk channel where all of the CIO Leadership Lives are broadcast and are stationed permanently. And I hope you'll also join me for our next episode, which will be Tuesday, May 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll be joined by Bill Mayo, who is the CIO at the Broad Institute. And while you're there on the YouTube channel checking us out, please do sign up and subscribe. It is IDG Tech Talk, and you can find um, all the stuff that we do there. Thanks for being with us today, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Take care.